Um, there are Bibles in the back, the, in English and Spanish. So if you want to grab one of those, if you need one, um, we'd love for you to borrow it if you want to, or you can keep it. Um, either way, it's our gift to you. We, um, we'd love for you to have it. We'd love to be able to give that to you as a Christmas gift. Um, Luke 1 is where we're going to be this morning as we come close uh, to Christmas. Christmas is three days away, and we're very excited to be celebrating, in my house at least. I don't know how you feel about Christmas coming up, but um, Christmas is filled with a lot of stuff for a lot of people, and I always love telling Christmas stories and hearing Christmas stories of the experiences that people have had uh, as they've grown up. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine, and we were talking about video games that we used to pay, play when we were growing up, and he wanted like the original Nintendo for Christmas and asked for it and was excited about it and really thought he was getting it for Christmas and couldn't sleep on Christmas Eve night. And so uh, Christmas morning, he wakes up, and it's still dark outside, and he's the first one up in his house. And he comes downstairs into his living room, and there's a TV set up, and the Nintendo is laid out, and a game is already in it, uh, one of the Super Mario games. And he puts it in, and he turns it on, and he starts playing it by himself. His, he's got a brother and a sister. They're still asleep. He's got, uh, his parents are still asleep. He's the first one uh, downstairs. He's excited about playing his new Nintendo. And then somebody walks in, and it's his dad. And his dad says, what are you, what are you doing? And he says, I'm, I'm playing my Nintendo that I got for Christmas. And his dad goes, it's 1.45 in the morning why are you playing? Go back to bed. It's not Christmas yet. It is too early for you to do this. And so he went back upstairs and was kind of sad but understood. And then he listened downstairs to make sure his parents fell back asleep. Went back downstairs and turned the TV on just not as loud this time so he could play his Nintendo and then slept all day Christmas Day. Because kids are, no, are bad at waiting, right? Especially when it comes to Christmas. But kids are bad at waiting uh, almost when it comes to anything. But it's, it's not just kids that are bad at waiting either, right? I'm bad at waiting. And there are some of us, I know, that if like, we try to get on the internet and the internet is slow, we, just, we start screaming at the internet, you know? It's like... I want to watch this TV show now. Or if you're trying to send a text message, or somebody's, if you have an iPhone and somebody's responding to your text message and those little dots are coming up and you're waiting on, what are you trying to say? Tell me. You know, we get in this place where we are impatient for, for all kinds of things in our life. And that has a negative effect on the way we live our life if we're constantly rushing from one thing to the next. Because the life of a Jesus follower is one of stillness and patience and, and quiet. It, and I'll admit, as someone who is a pastor, I have trouble with those things. But I think we all have trouble 
with those things if we're honest about what's going on in our lives. But the Christmas season in the church is one where we talk a lot about waiting, where we anticipate the birth of Jesus. We know it happened, but we still anticipate God breaking into our life and breaking into our chaos. Uh, My favorite part of the Christmas story, we talked briefly about this last week at our Christmas party, is that the whole scene is chaos. There are shepherds coming in, there's there's a barn that people are staying in, and there's animals around, and the world itself is in chaos because everybody has to travel back to their hometown in order to pay taxes, in order to be counted for the census. So there is a a world that's in chaos and a family that's in chaos because a mother and father are trying to have a baby and the only place they have is a barn. But when we sing about Christmas and we read the Christmas story, we see one of peace in the midst of chaos. And our hope as we over the next three days, think about what Christmas means to us, is that a lot of us can have peace in the middle of the chaos. But if it's going to be a peaceful time for us, then we have to make it peaceful. We can't just hope that it's going to happen. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning um, as we look at Luke chapter 1. So we're going to read about 15 verses, but we're going to stop along the way We're going to start in verse 5, Luke 1, verse 5. And we're going to go to verse um, 10. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. So hold your finger there, and here's what's going on. Luke is the story, it's one of the stories of Jesus coming to earth. Um, The whole story is about his life, but it starts not with the story of Jesus, but with this couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and it says they both come from um, almost a royal line. They're not kings and queens, but they come from the line of great priests in the history of God's people, Israel. And as they come from this line of great priests, it says they're also faithful to God in the way that they live. So it says they obey his commandments and regulations, and they they live faithful lives to God. But there is this thing missing from the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it is the fact that they have wanted to have a child, but they don't have one. And this is difficult for them. And the reason it's difficult for them is not because you have to have children to, to make you complete, 
But it's obvious that it's something that they wanted. And they do live in an ancient culture where oftentimes if you didn't have children, people wondered what was going on, why you didn't have children. So it's a great uh, shame and embarrassment. And sometimes there were people who said they don't have kids and they thought it was because of some sin that the people had committed. So even though they are faithful to God, they want a family, they don't get what they want. And there are people that are all around them saying, well, they must have done something wrong because God is not giving them this thing that they should get. And so there's this tension with Zechariah and Elizabeth is they are faithful to God and they trust God and they follow God, but they also have these desires in their heart that they're praying to God to fulfill, and he doesn't fulfill them. And it says that, says that they are old. So they're smart enough to know that we're at a place where we probably can't have children anymore. And there's a story in the Old Testament that's just like this. There's a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah, and they want to have a child too. And, and they get older to where they can't have children. And they're, they're asking God, what is going on? I don't really know why this is happening to me. So uh, there is this, it's not right, but it is this perception of the people that says that they can't be that faithful because God would have given them this. And Zechariah goes to do the work that he's called to do. He's a priest. And so he goes to the temple, and the way it worked in Jesus' day was a priest would go to the temple, he would leave his home, he would leave his family, and he would go and listen to people confess, he would pray for the people, he would offer sacrifices and burn incense as part of ceremonies that were dedicated to God. So he's not even with his wife right now, he goes to the temple and they're sort of choosing who's going in among the priests, who's going into the temple next. And Zechariah gets chosen. So the image is Zechariah going into the temple to perform his duties as a priest. And people are standing outside and they're praying. They're probably praying for Zechariah. They're probably confessing sin. They're probably worshiping in some way or another. And Zechariah goes in and this miracle happens. And that's in uh, verses 11 through, I think, 18. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son. And you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. 
So Zechariah is doing the work that he's supposed to do, and he's praying, and an angel appears before him. And an angel says, all the things you've prayed for, all the things you've wanted, they're, they're coming, they're happening. Your wife's going to have a son. And this is great news for Zechariah, but it's not only that they're having a son, this is a special son. Uh, he's going to name him John, and he's going to be uh, this person who announces the arrival of the Messiah, of Jesus, the Savior of the world. And this is going to be what he's supposed to do. Your son is not only the son that you've been waiting for for a long time, but he's a son that is filling a specific purpose in the story of God. This is, he even says, that like he's not supposed to touch alcohol his entire life. And that, that's, and that was part of this line of people who were set apart for God. So um, there's a story of Samuel in the Old Testament. There's a story of Samson in the Old Testament. There are ways that they are called to live in order to deliver a specific message for uh, God to the people. And this is what John is supposed to do. He's supposed to live in a certain way that's different from the rest of the world in order that he might proclaim that Jesus is coming. And so imagine all of the things that are going through Zechariah's mind. Because not only is he going to have a son, which he's prayed for with his wife for years, but his son is going to fulfill a specific purpose. And his son, Jesus has been prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. But in those prophecies, there are other stories and prophecies that one day somebody will come to announce Jesus coming to earth. And, and so not only is my son going to be born, which I never thought I'd have one, but he's going to be the fulfillment of all of these prophecies that I have been studying and thinking about for a long time. So this is great news for Zechariah. And with the great news, he responds like a lot of us would. Um, and this is in, uh, we'll start in verse 18. Uh, Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. And then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she said. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Zechariah, his response is, are, are you sure this is going to happen? Now, think, think about the image of being in the temple by yourself 
while people are praying outside, and you get a vision of an angel, and it tells you that the thing you've been wanting for your entire life is going to happen. Maybe Zechariah thought he was dreaming, maybe he thought he was seeing something, but it's hard for him to believe that what is going to happen is actually going to happen. And I, th- I think this really screams for us, because there are lots of us in this room who have wanted something to happen in our lives. We've been praying for something to happen in our lives, and it could be that you have a heart for somebody and you want something to happen in their life, or it could be something that you want to happen for yourself, but it's just not happening, and you're, you keep wondering over and over, when is this going to happen? When it actually does come to him, he doesn't believe it. How can this be? Are you sure this is going to happen? Zechariah is in this place that a lot of people throughout Scripture and a lot of faithful followers of Jesus are. I believe, but I really just want you, I, I I want you to show me. Like, don't just tell me, show me, God. I wonder if the angel had just come with a baby, if that would have made him believe more. There, there's still a small bit of doubt in his mind that maybe this isn't going to happen. And so what does the angel do? He says, of course it's going to happen. But since you don't believe me, I'm going to make you silent. And so Zechariah comes out. And the, he says that he's, it says that he's trying to explain it to the people, but he can't talk. So they see him like making signs with his hands, and they see that he's silent, and they say, well, something incredible must have happened in there, but because he can't even really, he can't even really say anything. And I, I think that we can look at that and think, well, maybe that's a punishment for Zechariah, for his unbelief. That he shouldn't have doubted God, and if he would, would have believed God, then, then he would have been able to speak. But here's what I think is really beautiful about this story, is that Zechariah gets the gift of being silent for a little while, so that his faith can actually catch up to, to God's promises for his life is that God declares this amazing thing. And he thought it would never happen. And so he gets this gift of having to wait to see it happen. And his wife becomes pregnant, and she gets excited because it's this thing she's wanted for a long time as well. And they see the the fulfillment of God's promises in a time when they were so tired of waiting, that they thought it would never happen. And this is why I think the Christmas story is so powerful for us, and why I think it's so powerful, um, the idea of waiting. is because some of us, when we think about the next three days, and all the things that we have to do, and the food we have to buy, and the gifts we haven't gotten yet, 
and the places we have to travel, we get so overwhelmed that we don't hear God's voice and then we, we get through it and then next year when this time comes again, we do it all over again and we wonder why we don't hear the voice of God. And it's because we're, not only do we just doubt, it's because we, we rush so much all the time that we forget to stop and listen to the voice of God. Um, I was talking with a friend of mine this week who is a pastor. Um, he's preaching on the same passage this morning. And um, he, he, was, he was talking about this and he said, I, I need this story. Because I need... Uh, I need more of God rather than more than like other things. And I need the space to, to doubt and to pray and to be silent with God in order that I might actually hear his voice and experience what he has for me. And I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know everybody in this room well enough to know them know what their desires are. What's the deepest desire of your heart? What is it that you have been praying for and longing for for a long time that you're not even sure that it's going to happen? And I, I can't say that all of those things are going to happen for everybody in this room. I, I really can't. But I, I know that if we are in this place where we're constantly rushing from one thing to the next, then we're never going to have a relationship with God that makes us okay with the things that are not going well in our life. Or we'll never have an intimacy with God that allows us to hear from Him. I don't know if the desires of everybody's heart is going to be fulfilled in this room. But I do know that when we stop and pause and rest and get silent, that we can hear the voice of God more clearly. And that even changes the desires of our heart. And I think that's what we want to invite you into this morning. Is that we want to invite you into uh, times of silence. And, and it's going to be hard because all of us have things to do. But try to carve out five minutes for prayer, for scripture, for just reflection, for silence. Because the reality is we can blame it on Christmas. But if you're hoping to get to Christmas and get through Christmas so that your busy season will be over, guess what? There's going to be something on the other side of the Christ Christmas and it's going to come screaming at you. And you can, you can 
fool yourself into thinking, all right, now that I'm past Christmas, if I can just get past this thing I have at the end of January, then I'll be good. If I can just get to spring break, then I'll be good. And guess what? It'll be November of 2020, and we're going to be saying, if I can just get through Christmas. And that is not the life God intended for us to live. If we want to have intimacy with God, we have to find time to spend with him. And so this is the invitation at the end of our service this morning. Because we don't have a Christmas Eve service because a lot of people are going in different places. Um, We're going to invite you to spend a few minutes in silence. Uh, They're going to come back up here in in just a little bit. And as they're going to strum a little bit so it's not complete deathly silent. But we do want to create space for you to pray. So that means if you want to like turn around and get in your chair and pray, do that. If you want to like come down front and pray, we want you to do that. If you want to go to a corner of the room and pray, or if you just want to sit in silence because you know that this next four minutes is going to be the only four minutes you get over the next three days, we want you to maximize the time that you can have with God. But we invite you not just to do this for the next four or five minutes. We invite you to do this as part of your life. Because when we make time to hear the voice of God, he gives us the gift of silence and the gift of closeness. And he will either give us the desires of our heart or he will give us new desires that we never even saw coming. This is the God that we serve. So, um, find a place, even if it's in your chair. And... um, I know this might make some of us uncomfortable, but I, most of you who decide to come here, you're already willing to be a little uncomfortable anyway. So uh, let's just make a little space and some time, and then we'll come.